0: just go to cars.com. It's magical.
1: This is the Falcoholic Podcast, the official podcast of Atlanta Falcons on the SB Nation Podcast Network. I am David Walker. You can call me DW. And this is the second part in our series of podcasts where you, the listener, will get to know our stable of writers over at thefalcoholic.com. Certainly, this person isn't second fiddle to anything going on in our site, as she is the lady in charge, not only over thefalcoholic.com, but all of the NFL brands at SB Nation, yet her heart and body is still here in Atlanta. Yes, She is the impossible one. She is my podcast partner and my friend, the one and only Gina Madeline Thomas. Gina, thank you for doing this.
0: David, thank you for doing this. I think that this is going to be really fun for our listeners to get to know our writers a little bit better.
1: I think so. It, it's When you're reading an article or you're you know, just sort of going through the site and reading news, it's easy to get disconnected from the fact that at SB Nation, at The Falcoholic, there are people behind this that are actually fans of the team. And they're real-life human beings that have stories. And I felt like it would be good for our listeners to get some insight back into that.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: All right. Let's dive into it because I think you're a person who did not grow up in Georgia. You didn't Mm -hmm. grow up in Atlanta um, and yet you're a Falcons fan. So uh, I think the first question is why, what made you a Falcons fan and, and when did that happen?
0: And I have to tell you, I get this question a lot just because of my Ohio state fandom. I am an Ohio native. I moved down here to the greater Atlanta Metro area in 2005 Um, and people ask me why I chose to be a Falcons fan on purpose because I could have avoided a lifetime of pain, but no, here I am. Um, so I really, when growing up in central Ohio, I love the Ohio state Buckeyes. Um, Ohio state is my favorite college team. I'm very, very, you may have noticed, like I mentioned it every possibility. Um, and so when I moved down here, Oh, (laughs) is that so Uh, when we moved down here in 2005, my ex-husband who was my husband at the time, told me that um, I should check out the Falcons. They had Michael Vick. They were a really exciting team. Like, I just missed Ohio State football. It's such a big part of the culture in Central Ohio. And so that was really what drew me to them. And then my ex-husband won tickets through the Chamber of Commerce in Gainesville, Georgia, to go to a Falcons game. It was the 2005 season. They were playing against the Minnesota Vikings. And Mm -hmm. it was my very first NFL game. And Vick... Played for part of the game. Then he got hurt, as was his tradition. And so the GOAT, uh, Matt Schaub, came in. I got to see him play, too. But I just kind of fell in love with that team. Vic was so, so exciting. Um, And then, you know, 2007 happened, and Vic went to prison, and that was a real heartbreak. And I don't know. Like, I feel like if you're a Falcons fan who lived through the 2007 season, your fandom has already been tried by fire. Like, even 28-3 to couldn't hurt us because that season was a – disaster. Um, And so anyway, that's how I became a Falcons fan.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's, you certainly came in at an interesting time (laughs) in franchise history. Uh, You know, when I spoke to Dave in the the first part of the series, he, uh, I believe came in, you know, earlier in the Dan Reeves era. Um, So you came in right in the middle of sort of the, the height I think of the, the Michael Vick, uh, era, you know, really an exciting time in Atlanta. I, I remember distinctly billboards, advertisements. I mean, he was a superstar in the oh, league. Oh, yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, he was, you know, on the cover of Madden, he was the hottest player in the league. Nobody, nobody played the game like he did. I, he was just honestly a revelation. I, he was incredible to watch. I really think that Lamar jackson is the closest player to him that we've seen and lamar Mm -hmm. i think is even a little bit more dynamic um he certainly seems to be more durable but there really has not been another player that's held a candle to vic since since he left the league
1: yeah it's pretty pretty amazing Uh, so i mean on that note what is one of your earliest memories fond or otherwise of this team
0: yeah, I'm going to go with otherwise because I'm going to tell you about I'm going to tell you about the day that my hatred of the Saints was solidified, Ooh. and that would have been the very first game back in the Superdome after Hurricane Katrina. Which oh. now this is something that I have written about extensively. Um, I, I wrote a very I wrote a very in depth article about it when the Falcons were playing the Saints. On, I think it was Monday Night Football on the anniversary of that game. But if you'll remember, like they did not call an even game. They did not call that game equally. Every every call went against the Falcons. They were letting the saints literally like destroy Michael Vick. And he was taking so many hard hits. And I know that with mobile quarterbacks, they do call things a little bit differently, but this was beyond the pale. And I remember this game so vividly because it was the day that I started hating the saints. And as you know, that is very much my brand now. So, you know, (laughs) it was, it was the day that my brand was born, but also I remember getting so mad and I had been meaning to do like a of deep cleaning of my bathroom floor so I just turned up the TV in my bedroom and I went in and I cleaned my bathroom floor <laughs> instead of watching it because I was too pissed off so yeah that's <laughs>
1: wow I, mean,
0: I have some earlier memories but that one I think is you know a little bit more it ca- carries a little bit more weight for me
1: yeah uh, absolutely um, is that uh, that is the same game with the infamous blocked punch. Yes, yes yes it yes. sure is
0: yeah Ooh. and people amazing guy. And I wish him all the best. And I know that that was, you know, a moment for Saints fans to celebrate. um, And I I get that, but I still really hate that team. And I really (laughs) hate the way that that game turned out.
1: (laughs) Uh, That's certainly a a memory that I think many Falcons fans who've been watching for that length of time uh, would agree because that it was sort of a stunning game, at least in the way that they called it. You could tell that the Falcons were just not going to get any help in that game. And it even seemed like from the first snap, it was uh, very much leaned against them, which uh, I'm sure Saints fans see it differently. But uh, yeah, I certainly have the same memory. Yeah, they're Um, not
0: the most realistic crew. So (laughs) (laughs)
1: Um, so it's one thing to watch this team and to go to the games, cheer them on. But you're now writing about them. So when did that start happening? When did you start writing about the Falcons and, and why? why? Why did you take that on to your life?
0: So it's kind of staggering to realize this, but uh, it would have been like training camp of 2010 that I started writing about the Falcons, which is bonkers to me. So yeah, it's been a long time. Um, I started writing about the team because I used to work in the wedding industry and um, the owner of the venue where I worked was very bad at being a business owner. And she spent all of the company's money on stuff that weren't, they really weren't business expenses. And then we all got laid off. And so all of a sudden I had all this time on my hands. And so when summer rolls around I used to take my daughters they were much younger then, and I used to take them over to training camp for open practices and as you know I'm extremely online so I would like tweet about what I was seeing and Dave noticed and Dave asked me if I would mind writing up some observations and I tell you what like I think back to the early stuff that I wrote and I was terrible at it (laughs) I wrote I think that I wrote like a like a three thousand word fan post where it was almost like a play by play of training camp, and that was ridiculous. But um, and there there must have been enough, you know, there to make Dave think that I would be a good addition, and so he brought me in, and I have been here ever since, um, refusing to be bossed and whatnot. So. <laughs>
1: uh, <laughs> and your journey has been a really interesting one. You you've gone from. Uh, someone who moved down here in in the early aughts to being someone who had season tickets for the Mm -hmm. Falcons to writing about them. And now you're actually, uh, I mean, within SB Nation, you've sort of moved up repeatedly and now you're over all of the NFL brands. and
0: I have. And I I do think, you know, I really credit the Falcoholic for that because the Falcoholic did a lot of things for me. One, it made me, taught me how to be confident in my voice and my observations. Um, And I think that that's the most important thing, but also it was my introduction to SB nation. And I love the, I love the potential that exists at our team sites. I love that somebody can come in here and, like me with no background in sports journalism, but you know, some passion for it and a willingness to learn how to be good at it and work at it. And then, you know, I ended up being credentialed with the team, which is like a dream come true. And, Mm -hmm. you know, then have, you know, really turned it into a career that I'm very, very happy in. So I feel very fortunate to have landed here.
1: Yeah. It's, it's, it's really cool. And I think for people who read the Falcoholic who've been with us for a long time, They've seen that. I mean, I I personally have seen it because I think when I first started back in 2011, it was before we were credentialed. It was when Mm -hmm. uh, I think you were still covering uh, training camp from on the hill, as we used to to call it. Um, So it's been fun. It's been fun to see sort of that maturation and uh, the prominence of the site sort of rise uh, over the past decade. So um, on that note, you know, you can't write about this team for that long without having had some great takes and maybe mm-hmm. some pretty bad ones. So <laughs> I asked Dave for his. His was easy, the bad one. Oh,
0: Glenn Dorsey. W- which was the Glenn Dorsey
1: <laughs> over Matt Ryan take. Yeah, he still, I think, cringes when he thinks about that. Um, so for you, it, it, thinking back since your time writing about the Falcons, what is maybe one of the worst takes, opinions uh, that you've had since covering the team?
0: You know, I actually also hated the Matt Ryan pick. I hated it. I hated it. I was like, this is really what you're going to do here. Like, this is really, you really think that this guy's going to work out from Boston College? They don't play anybody. (laughs) Like, I was, I was like, furious. Obviously, I was an idiot. So, I take it back.
1: Wow. Uh... Yeah,
0: I know. I'm th- embarrassed. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, I, I I didn't know that. Uh, this is the first time I've I've heard uh, in in a decade of knowing you guys that this was. A take that you also had. So I guess Dave is not not alone in that boat.
0: Well, and to be fair, that was before I was writing and before I was tweeting. So it's not like this is preserved anywhere on the internet, but I'm just being honest with you. That was my, that was what I was stomping around my house and slamming stuff around yelling when he was drafted. Um, So yeah, at least I didn't really share that take with the world. But now I now I actually have shared this take with the world, so <laughs> great.
1: Yes, Google's Internet Archives has has Dave's opinion locked in for <laughs> perpetuity. An alien race is going to come down three thousand years from now, see that take, and be like, "What the hell, Dave?
0: What was Dave thinking?
1: What was Dave thinking?" <laughs> <laughs> um, on the flip side, you know, I, I think covering this team sometimes. Uh, especially i think since we've gotten some uh, better access to the team and to some of the players we get to see some things maybe that normal fans don't get to see and i think that informs some of our opinions a little bit more so maybe what is one of the best takes that at the time you know wasn't seen as a normal opinion that you think worked out really well and that you were dead on when you when you had it
0: Gosh, I, I almost hesitate to say this, but I was on board with, I was projecting the team to take Keanu Neal because of his connection with Quinn at Florida. Mm. And so then he was, he was the pick and people pitched a fit about it. And because I had been on board with this idea and like, i that's what I expected from them. I had watched a lot of his, you know, YouTube highlights. I'm not going to act like I scouted them or anything, but I just watched him play. And I knew like the hard hitting style and he's a ball Hawk. I knew that that was all the kind of stuff that Quinn loves. And, um, you know, people really were not thrilled about that pick at the time uh, overall. I mean, some people were, but I was delighted about it. And obviously injuries have caught up with him, which breaks my heart. But I think that he is every bit the player that I expected him to be before those injuries. And so I stand by that one. I really think the injuries are the only thing that have held him back.
1: Yeah. And I think this – Sport is so cruel in that regard, but I, I think when we're judging players, I don't think it's fair to judge them in the light of injuries they had no control over. So mm-hmm. um, he certainly didn't have an injury history in college coming out and, uh, you know, certainly hope he bounces back this year. I'm very hopeful. Uh, I also love Keanu Neal. I think he's a fantastic player, um, but yeah, it, I, who was the linebacker, that I think Jacksonville took at the top of the second round that mm-hmm. all Falcons fans wanted us to take at the time.
0: Miles Jack. Was Miles
1: Jack. Him? Was yes. it him? Okay. Yeah. yeah.
0: And uh, I think he had the micro fracture issue if I'm yes. not mistaken. And so that was why I was concerned about that because that's a very difficult injury to rehab from.
1: Yep. And same draft class. We ended up taking Dion Jones who arguably yep. has been, uh, one of the best linebackers taken in the past four or five years. So,
0: And they were able to trade back a couple of spots and pick up an ex- extra pick to get Jones. So I particularly loved that selection.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Two great young players in that draft class. Um, all right, uh, shifting gears a little bit. Shifting, shifting gears. gears. <laughs> <laughs> what is something that our readers, our listeners, may not know about you already that is interesting or unique that you want to let them know now?
0: Let me think. Um, well, I mentioned a couple of minutes ago that I started going to training camp because I got laid off from my job in the wedding industry. And this is kind of a funny story. I um, I was the director of marketing and business development for a small wedding venue in Northeast Georgia. And um, I was in charge of the sales team. So I supervised them. But I, if, if all of the sales team were like at lunch or something and a bride came in, I would have to take the appointment. And Invariably, I would ask them for their budget and they would say, like, $35,000. And I would be like, You know, you could spend one tenth that and be just as married. Like, you don't have to, <laughs> like, don't go into debt for a wedding. And my boss would pull me aside. She's like, You, you have to actually sell the weddings. Like, you can't tell them, <laughs> don't spend $35,000. We want them to spend $35,000. Like, ethically, I don't think I can do that. So, I, I am very good at supervising a sales team. I am not very good at selling something that impractical. So. <laughs> And let me tell you, I'm getting married in a couple of months and I we are not spending anywhere close to $35,000.
1: Oh, get I, it. I hear you. <laughs> uh, I, I can relate. My brother-in-law, I think you know, had we both had a uh, uh, we had a company together where we filmed weddings and we were always stunned at the just the sheer number of dollars spent. Yeah, um, it's bonkers. It is bonkers. Completely bonkers. Yeah. Uh, for, for someone who I think collectively, Shay and I, Spent a little over three thousand dollars on their wedding. Uh, mm-hmm. Thirty-five thousand seems like a, uh, I, I would just buy a car, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> if,
0: buy buy a car outright and have no payments, or put that money down on a house and right. you know have a manageable mor- mortgage payment and built an equity. Like, do, I bet you guys didn't know this was going to turn into a financial advice podcast. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> we uh, our our brand is whatever we want it to be. Frankly, <laughs> yes. So, all right, a couple couple more questions before we go to break. Um, For the Falcons, who is your all-time favorite player, active or uh, prior, and why?
0: This is so hard. This is so hard. There are so many to choose from. I might really have to say Roddy White because I love everything about Mm, him. Like, he, his on the field production, the person that he is off the field, he is hilarious. He always says the funniest stuff. Like I think that his retirement hit me harder than anybody else's so far. So I think that I would have to say Roddy.
1: Yeah. He was, uh, gosh, he was always like the soul of the team when he yeah. was on it. Yeah. Um, all right. Li- active players. So only the folks that are going to be on the 2020 roster for the Falcons.
0: Okay. This is also very difficult. Ah, um, oh, gosh. See, like, like, can we combine Matt and Julio into one person? And then I can say that's who Mulio. it is. Julio. Julio. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard for me to pick between the two. I guess, I guess, ah, uh, yeah. I mean, Julio is just a generational talent.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, I, I think that it's really hard to not say that it's the guy who put up 300 receiving yards against the Panthers a few years back. I mean, he just is, he's transcendent. He is so much fun to watch and he is just a game changer. I, I guess I got to say Julio. I mean, I, he is just an absolute joy to watch.
1: And on the plus side, he catches more than short slants.
0: Yes, he does. (laughs) Yeah.
1: (laughs) Had to get in our Saints slander while we can.
0: Always.
1: (laughs) So before we get to our second uh, set of questions, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back.
0: This is Advertiser Content, brought to you by Frito-Lay.
1: Hello, I'm Chip Murphy, here to get you ready for the big tournament. Tonight we'll break down... We break down who will be cutting... Cut! What are you two doing? Just go to frito lay snack No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends 4 3 2023. Void wherever Here's worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at frito lay snack And we are back on the Falcoholic Podcast. This is David Walker. I am joined by my partner in crime, Gina Madeline Thomas. We're getting to know a little bit more about Gina in this Getting to Know Our Writers podcast. So, Gina, I'm going to hit you with more questions. as we wrap this one up for the day. Um, before the break, I asked you about, you know, your favorite all time player and your favorite current player. Uh, and now I want you to give me your top three. So it could be a mix of active, uh, former players, but who are the three that if you're teenage Gina Thomas, you're going to put a poster of these three guys in your bedroom, right next to that poster of new edition.
0: Um, first of all, I am so old that I guess new edition would work, but new kids on the block, <laughs> new kids on the block new would kids, be, yes. cause that's really what I had on my wall. Um, so top three all time. I mean, I've just said that Roddy and Julio are my favorite past and current, and I think I'm going to flip John Abraham in there. Um, Ooh. yeah, those are all guys who obviously have played for the team since I became a fan. I think that that it kind of limits me some. Like I've I've interviewed Mike Ken before, and I really really like him, so I considered that. And same thing with Jesse Tuggle, um, but I, I wasn't really following the team when those guys played, so I feel like that's disingenuous. So yeah. I'm gonna stick with those three guys.
1: Yeah, I, it's Abraham. I really like that one because I feel like. Uh, especially nowadays with this current Falcons team, we don't have that premier edge rusher. Mm -mm. We haven't
0: since Abe was here.
1: Right. And it's easy to forget just how good he was as a pastor. Yes. Like, yes. He tormented the saints when he was here.
0: And I'm going to say William Moore would be honorable mention. Mm. And it's, and it's, all because of his Willie Moe always ready rap. Like I, that that alone was almost enough to sneak him into the top three, but I'm going to say Willie Moe is my honorable mention.
1: I like it. Um, I think he, he always ends up on Falcons highlights, highlight mm-hmm. reels with that he- suplex body slam of that uh, Rams player.
0: I mean, he hit like a truck. And I, if if I can add another honorable mention, it's going to be Michael Turner. And I will forever love him for literally throwing <laughs> Eric Reams into a defender and making him block. <laughs> it, was, it was
1: disgusting and amazing. It
0: was hilarious. I loved it. So yes. okay, so there. I've I've named enough players now. <laughs> I've, I've, I've bent the rules enough <laughs> for this question.
1: <laughs> oh, well, our rules are sort of hazy at best okay. <laughs> um, flip the script a little bit. We've talked about players. Uh, obviously those are the guys everyone thinks about, but I think that Falcons have actually had some colorful coaches over the years okay. and some very interesting coaches. Um, you know, obviously uh, Dave mentioned Dan Reeves and his time here. Uh, we've had Jim Mora <laughs> Bobby Trino Uh, Mike Smith arguably helped turn this franchise around uh, in 2008. And we've got, you know, now Dan Quinn, who I think, you know, despite the struggles has been seen as a, a, one of the most personable coaches. So Mm -hmm. for you, and I think this is interesting too, because you've actually gotten to know two of these men uh, Mm -hmm. at some level, who in your mind is the, your favorite Falcons coach. They don't even have to not favorite from a success standpoint or anything of that, but just, you know, your own, like you like to see these guys, they, they resonate with you. Who is who is at the top of your list for the Falcons?
0: So I'm going to talk through this a little bit to explain it. And I would say um, I, I spent an afternoon watching the early games, the last game in the Georgia Dome prior to that, uh, the one against the Saints. I watched that game, uh, the early games with Dan Reeves and his wife, and it was some Ford event, and I was Mm -hmm. interviewing him and uh, did some on-camera stuff for Ford with that, and um, I just, I absolutely loved him. We sat, I watched the Cowboys, the Cowboys were playing the Eagles that day, Mm -hmm. and so I sat and watched the Cowboys game with him, and he was like asking me questions about it and talking to me like I was a person, not some clueless woman, which, You'd be surprised, especially with older – you probably wouldn't be surprised, actually. But especially with older coaches, they kind of assume – and it's like, you know – um, okay, sweetie, it's so cute that you think you know about football. But Reeves did not talk to me like that. He talked to me like somebody that he expected knew the game because I work in this field. And I just learned a lot from him. Like he he's awesome. He's I can tell just from that afternoon that he's an incredible coach. Um, Mike Smith is a very nice man. And I like him very much. And, but I guess that I I really have to go with Dan Quinn. I know that this may not be a popular answer for a lot of Falcons fans. But I know Quinn pretty well. And for the past couple of years, especially as I started getting promoted at SB Nation, you know, Dan makes a point of coming to talk to me, asking me about my job. We have a lot of conversations about effective leadership and mentoring people and, you know, helping to get the best out of the people who report to you. And so just from that perspective, like, I think that that's really Dan Quinn's strength. And I think that that's part of the reason that we saw the players rally behind him, Mm -hmm. um, after the bye this year. And so I have to say that it's, Dan, he is the one that I have the the best relationship with. And it's really because he, you know, he takes the time to actually care what is going on in my life and like talks to me about things that are relevant to me. I, it's just, he's a very genuine person and very easy to talk to.
1: Yeah. And I I always get a little frustrated because sometimes, you know, the interactions we have with uh, people who are fans of the team, they tend to have this impression of Dan Quinn where they talk about, you know, his catchphrases and his energy. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, certainly when the team is winning, they're all about it. But now that the team is has been struggling the past two years, you know, they sort of slam him for being, you know, this rah-rah guy as if he's fake or artificial. And mm-hmm. at least in my limited interactions, having been at camp a few times with you, you can tell this is legitimately who he is. There's is yes. no front. There's no faking. This man is... He is just, he's positive. He cares about people. Uh, he is a legitimately good man. I, I want mm-hmm. to see him succeed in Atlanta because of that, because we've mm-hmm. seen some bad coaches here. Uh, and I, I know you and I have talked about that in the past, just that uh, he, he is legitimately a, a caring person. Like he, he, he does not have to come up to you. Like if there's no cameras rolling, No, um, none of that's going on, but he does, he checks in on, on people randomly because he is just a good, good person at, at the core. And I, I, I want people to hear that because I feel like this season, if it doesn't go perfectly, he is going to get burned alive. And you know, it, it, that's part of the NFL. It's not going to mm-hmm. be a surprise, but I, I don't want it to turn into a bashing him as a person because I do not <laughs> think that that's fair.
0: No, I agree. And yeah, the NFL is not for long. Everybody knows that. So Dan Quinn will eventually make an exit. Um, You know, if, like you said, if they don't turn things around this season, it'll be sooner rather than later, but Dan Quinn will leave this franchise better than he found
1: it. Yeah, I agree. Um, All right. Let's talk about, uh, this is interesting to me because they've had some pretty interesting answers. I want to hear what you have to say here, but uh, one of the other things we get to see writing about this team is sort of underhyped players, guys maybe that fly under the radar and don't get the respect they deserve, and sometimes the opposite, where fans get like religiously zealous about thinking this person's the next superstar, and it doesn't turn out. So, in your mind, let's start with the first. Who is the most underrated Falcon in recent years, where maybe the fans didn't appreciate him as much, uh, or whatever he just didn't get the credit that he deserved
0: it's Matt Ryan (laughs) (laughs) I mean it's it's absolutely Matt Ryan I don't know why people say he has a noodle arm I don't know why they say that he can't win the big game you know they act like there are not 22 people uh well actually 33 if you're counting special teams you know who are responsible for the outcome of games I mean Matt has been known to make some boneheaded mistakes like every quarterback does. Mm -hmm. But he has been extremely, extremely good for the Falcons. I mean, he is exactly the kind of guy that you want as a franchise quarterback. And I really don't think that fans appreciate that enough. I think that they I mean, people act like quarterbacks grow on trees, you know, look around the league at some of these teams that have been hasty with quarterback decisions oh, yeah. and look at the positions that they're in. Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, it, it probably sounds ridiculous because obviously he's paid very well. You know, he is a, you know, he's, he's a, a, you know, top tier player, but I don't think that fans fully appreciate how his talent and what he's done for this team.
1: I, and I, it's funny because I feel like, you know, 2016, a lot of his critics were silenced. Um, mm-hmm. Even 2017, they started to come out a little bit, but that season was so fluky and he still played really well. And in 2018, put up numbers that were similar to 2016, which is mind boggling uh, when you think about it. And I feel Mm -hmm. like last year, 2019, some of his critics came trotting out of their rooms and they were kind of, you know, puffing up (laughs) their chest because the interceptions and the rough start to the season Um, so yeah, I, I think you're probably right. I I think there's uh, a long list, uh, but I think Dave said, you know, Desmond Trufant certainly fell on that list. I I agree
0: with that one too. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely.
1: Um, so on the flip side, who is a player or maybe players or position or something who you think has been consistently overrated by fans where you're like, I don't get it. I don't see why the excitement's there. Um,
0: (laughs) Well, I don't think any of us knew it at the time, but I'd say that Ray Edwards may have turned out to be the most overrated player. (laughs) I mean, the team thought that they were signing a defensive end and they signed an Instagram model. I mean,
1: that is. (laughs) Oh my God. The underwear model. Oh my God. I forgot about that. Oh, wow. He couldn't even make it through a a full season. I mean, that was. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was, yeah, I mean, that's.
0: I was so amped that they landed him. I was so excited, and I was so ready for him to just come in and rip shit up, and then, no, he was absolutely terrible. So,
1: yeah. Yeah, that was a stunning, stunning move. I, uh, when Dave and I talked, we uh, I think we settled on any training camp wide receiver.
0: Oh, His, gosh, yeah, or Jonathan Massaqua. He's <laughs> another one. <laughs> Jonathan Massaquoi. Remember when everybody was so mad that they weren't playing him?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I was on that list,
0: but
1: but that was also at the time where we literally had nobody. So it was like, Hey, we may Uh, as well, we may as well throw garbage out there, even if it's burning garbage.
0: But yeah, Speedy Reedy, Freddie Martino, you know, there are a bunch of guys who went on the play for the bucks. Uh,
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh man.
0: The bucks is like the NFL's Island of misfit toys for the Falcons.
1: (laughs) Yes. Oh my God. Really, a bunch of retreads. Uh, yes. That's hysterical. Uh, they're Atlanta, Atlanta South. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. The most gratifying win uh, in your time watching or cheering for this team?
0: So it has to be a Falcons win, correct? Yes. Okay, because if not, I was going to say I was going to rank them in Uh-oh. order, like Minnesota Miracle. <laughs> <laughs> Last no, we're going to go with the Falcons win. <laughs> okay, yeah. Um, okay, so I would say, but in that in that same vein, um, you know, there are two that come immediately to mind. A couple of years ago, I think that it was the Super Bowl season, but it might have been 2017. No, I think it was the Super Bowl season. Um, when it was Thursday night football and the Falcons beat the Saints it, and Drew Brees threw the interception to Dion Jones in the end zone, and right before that, you know. Uh, Sean Payton's on the sidelines making the choking motion at Devante Freeman. And then Drew Brees choked the game away. Like oh yeah, that was deeply satisfying. I was watching that in a bar with some neighbors and the place was shaking when that happened because everybody was screaming and jumping up and down like it was amazing. And then I would say the second most and especially in light of how bad the Falcons were this year. Beating the saints on the road was like one of the greatest days of my life. And that is also the day that I got engaged. So I mean, literally one of the greatest days of my life, Chris proposed to me because I was already so happy about it. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, I would, it's hard for me to narrow it down. I guess I got to go with the one that I got engaged. And like I said, there were so few bright spots in the first half of this last season. And that one was just an absolute joy.
1: Yeah. Uh, It's funny. I I didn't even think of it in that context, but in the midst of a dark season, beating the saints Mm -hmm. on the road Mm -hmm. certainly was like peak, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, disappointing the saints, uh, which is always going to be a good day. Um, All right. On the flip side, we all know what the most devastating loss is. That's clear. Mm -hmm. Um, So how hard did, 28 to 3 hit you. What stories do you have of that? Uh, I I feel like now there's enough distance between 28 to 3 and today where we can all talk about a little bit, almost like a a traumatic event. So what was that like for you in, in the wake of when it happened and even the weeks after?
0: So at that time, I was covering the Falcons full-time. I was, you know, at the facility every single day, in the locker room every single day. I was still at every game, Um, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And so I was very close to this team. I had very close relationships throughout the locker room with the coaching staff. Um, And then I was disappointed that they chose to send staff writers from SB Nation to Houston and not me because I was was covering the NFL full-time for SB Nation at the time. Instead, they sent me and our news desk team to Washington, D.C., to our offices there, and it was me and my friend and colleague, Harry Lyles, Jr., who also writes for SB Nation. And we're, he, he lives in Atlanta, too, and we're both Falcons fans. And so our friend Kofi, who was doing social for SB Nation at the time, kept peeking his head around the corner, and he's like, why do you guys still look nervous? Like, you're winning by 25 points. And we're like, have you ever seen this team play? Like, we cannot be comfortable until this game is over. yeah. And, um, so at least it, but we started to get to the point around halftime. Like, I think that it was maybe right at that Alfred pick six because Harry and I were both like, we're going to get that printed on a canvas and hang it in our respective house, respective houses. <laughs> like I was, I was Googling at the half, like where to buy this canvas. Like I was ready to go. And so, uh, then we all know how it went from there. And, um, so covering the, covering the Super Bowl is a lot of work. You know, you usually when we're on site in D.C., you know, you're up until three in the morning filing follow-up stories and that sort of thing. When I covered the Super Bowl here in Atlanta, same thing. I was sitting in my hotel until 4 a.m. that year, I think. So it's a, it's a long night. And obviously it was a longer game because it went to overtime. And I held it together until the clock at zero. And then I told my editor, Sarah, I'm like, I need two minutes. And I went into the bathroom and I cried for two minutes. And then I came out of the bathroom and then my friend Chris Thorman was standing there with a huge glass of wine. And I was like, thank goodness. So then I just turned it off and went back to work. Um, and then I went back to my hotel and I tr- listened to breakup music and like, <laughs> <laughs> Tried and tweeted about how sad I was and blocked a bunch of Saints fans who didn't even say anything that bad, but I just couldn't deal with it emotionally. (laughs) I was listening to, like, literally breakup music. It was, it's ridiculous in hindsight, but I cannot overstate how crushing that was. And the fact that we, you know, we've still got to hear jokes about it. It comes up in almost every game broadcast. They even talk about it sometimes in the XFL during games. Like, It's ridiculous. And so, yeah, I mean, it's it's never a good thing to have your team be on the wrong end of the worst loss in Super Bowl history. But, yeah. Um, yeah, that's what I was doing, and it hit me very, very hard. I mean, I've, you know, I've I leaned into making fun of it as a coping mechanism, which is how I deal with my emotions in general. But, um, yeah, it was not fun. None of us enjoyed it. No. <laughs> Terrible.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think... Uh... I, I think at one point I actually messaged Dave and was like, I don't know if I can write about this team anymore. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think I actually took a couple months off and you did. finally came back and was like, okay, uh, the darkness is just a part of my soul now. So I may as well embrace <laughs> it. Um, <laughs> Yes. As <laughs> <laughs> so I think it is true with all of our hey, writers at this point.
0: You know, the, the nice thing is that this team can never hurt us again because right. of 28 <laughs> to three. I cannot get upset about anything this team does. It will not be as bad as 28 to three.
1: Exactly. Like, like uh, that scratch of my arm. Oh, it's nothing compared to being impaled through my chest. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. So uh, last question uh, before we wrap this one up, what are your thoughts to close this one out on, the current Falcons regime. And I'm I'm talking all the way at the top, you know, Arthur Blank, Mm -hmm. Rich McKay, Dimitrov, Dan Quinn, what are your thoughts on this regime and what are your hopes for the 2020 season?
0: Um, I think that Arthur Blank is a good owner. And I think that the team is lucky to have him. Um, I think that I actually think that he was correct to retain Dan Quinn and I maybe not Dimitrov. Um, I really have not, I, I think since 2008 seen evidence that Dimitrov knows how to draft worth a damn, um, <laughs> especially positions, uh, both lines I think are his blind spots. Right. And so, you know, I've got concerns there, but I think that the way that the players rallied in the second half of the season to keep Quinn from getting fired, bodes well for next season and i think it says a lot about quinn as a leader and as a coach um mm-hmm. so i'm glad that he's around i don't really know what this new deal for rich mckay looks like i don't know how much more he'll be involved with the day-to-day operation stuff i mean obviously he's got experience as a Uh, GM but there's a reason that he is team president and not GM anymore and so i like I said like I've got a whole lot of questions about that whole thing Um, in terms of the talent that they have on the roster we just have so many positions of need right now and only so many resources to work with to fill those areas of need so I'm pretty anxious about it because the thing is Dan Quinn can you know coach circles around any other coach in the league but if he doesn't have the talent to execute what he's coaching them to do they're not going to be good. And so, you know, if they can't keep Matt Ryan upright, if they can't create lanes and run a game, if they can't tackle without whiffing on everybody 50 times before somebody finally brings down the ball carrier, um, they're going to be terrible again. And so they just have a lot, like a a huge amount that they need to improve upon and a, a lot of talent that they need to add to be competitive. And I have questions about how they're going to make that happen. So it's, it's, I'm glad that they retained Quinn. It is hard for me to be optimistic about this team before what we see, what they do in free agency, which they really can't afford to do anything and what they do in the draft.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think it's going to be a critical year across the board. We're going to need, Oh, as you mentioned, we're going to need Dimitrov to nail the draft to nail free agency, whatever they can do there. So uh, certainly going to be another interesting season at thealcoholic.com. Mm-hmm. So yes, Uh, Gina, this was awesome. I think, uh, our listeners have gotten to know you a lot better, uh, maybe understanding your, your motivations more. So why don't you tell them where they can find you and what you've got going on?
0: You can find me on Twitter at Gina Thomas. Um, I'm, I think I'm going to start doing a weekly mailbag for Falcons fans. So that's something that you'll probably want to look out for, on you know, Wednesdays or Thursdays, I'll post a tweet Soliciting questions, then I'll answer them on the site on Saturday mornings. Um, And yeah, that's pretty much all that I have going on right now. You can find me on the Falcoholic Podcast whenever we record it.
1: Yep, absolutely. Uh, As for me, guys, you can find me on Twitter at FalcoholicDW. Of course, here each week, each month whenever we get the chance uh, at, on the Falcoholic Podcast. Also follow our podcast specific for your account, Falcoholic Pod. Uh, You'll get updates there when the podcasts drop, uh, what's hitting, uh, so you can stay tuned to what is coming out on this Falcons related podcast. So for Gina Madeline Thomas, this is David Walker. Thank you guys for tuning in and we'll talk to you next time.